two, Voices in Local Government, an ICMA podcast. My name is Joe Superville. With us today are Sarah Peck and Emily Nink, who researched and wrote the Mass Shooting Protocol and Playbook, a free resource every city manager and public safety official needs to read. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having us. We're glad to be here. Um, so as we get into today's topic, uh, Mass Shooting Protocol and Playbook, I just up, up top want to kind of give that disclaimer. This is not a conversation about the Second Amendment or legislation. It's about how local government leaders um, can do training beforehand, learn how the immediate response actions can help, and even the long-term recovery for a community that goes through something like this. So again, we're not we're not getting into policy here. It's really a matter of how local government leaders can help once uh, a tragedy occurs. Uh, yes, Joe, let me just jump in here to say that uh, we are a, a, an organization that's taking a public health approach to this, and our research has included mayors from both uh, the Republican and the Democratic Party and from cities all over the country. So it's really a nonpartisan effort to focus on saving lives and, and helping communities recover from mass shootings. Can we start by kind of explaining for the audience just United on Guns and PHAI, the, the relationship, how those two organizations work together on this project and maybe the perspectives from each of you. The Public Health Advocacy Institute is the organization that is doing this research. Um, United on Guns is the initiative of the Public Health Advocacy Institute. When I left the State Department in, in 2019, I approached uh, Dick Daynard, who is the founder of the Public Health Advocacy Institute and asked him to focus, whether he would be interested in focusing on gun violence as a public health issue. And he said, yes. <laughs> so really, there, there, we're, we're a, a team working on this issue together, but using their uh, very deep resources on, on public health approaches to, to issues, including tobacco, obesity, uh, and, and other issues that, uh, that affect the health of Americans. So these two resources are available at unitedonguns.org for our audience who will check them out. We'll link it on the website and all the ICMA platforms. So can you give, we'll, we'll get into some of the specific topics and examples from the case studies you've done and the research you've, you've done with some of the mayors, but can you start with a explanation on each of the two resources, what they are, how they complement each other? Sure. Uh, let me start by telling you where the idea came from. I had the opportunity to meet Bill Peduto, the mayor of Pittsburgh, who responded to the Tree of Life synagogue shooting. And I asked him, what on that day did you need that you didn't have? And he said, I, I really could have used a mass shooting protocol. So that's what we set out to do. Uh, we, we returned to the university. Uh, working with Emily, who put together a, a research protocol that was approved by the IRB board there. So this was uh, approved research through a university. And we, um, we approached six, the, the leaders of six cities uh, to, to understand how elected officials and their first responder, the, the, their teams of first responders um, responded to the mass shootings in those cities. And they were, those cities were the, the Pulse shooting in Orlando, uh, the Marjorie Stenham Douglas school shooting in Parkland, the Walmart shooting in El Paso, the Tree of Life synagogue shooting, and the uh, and shootings also in San Bernardino and in Dayton, Ohio. And, and Emily can also go into more much more detail about how those cities were selected. 
In all, we interviewed 16 mayors and first responders, not the law enforcement aspect, which is uh, very widely reported, but what those elected officials did, what their actions actually were. And the result is a two-part resource, the protocol which is a short document. It's it's not even an outline. It's just a very small part, the first 24 hours of a response and the key actions and decisions that a mayor or a city manager will have to make in those those first hours following the, the news that there's been a shooting. Um, and I've got some examples of, of some of the things that, that you would find in, in the playbook. Communications. So we, we focus on the, the issues that you're going to, as a, as a city leader, that you, you would need to focus on, and also some of the best practices, the most important things that you would need to do. So for example, a city leader, in addition to the law enforcement official, whether it's the FBI or the chief of police, they are the voice, the elected officials and the city managers, they are the, the voice of the community, and they need to take a role at the press conference. They need to help work with law enforcement to decide who will speak and in what order and what they're going to say. With emergency operations, it's often the, the mayor or the city manager who launches the emergency operations center. And they are the ones who decide whether or not to, to declare a local state of emergency. According to the city attorney in Orlando, there's almost no downside to doing that. So that's one of the considerations that we help uh, city leaders think through whether or not they would need to do that. The law enforcement obviously is dealing with the the response to the the you know the criminal or the the assailant side of the, the thing, but the city leaders are the ones who take over from there and provide all of the services and support that the victims and their families are going to need. And this all starts to happen immediately following a shooting. A, a family re, a reunification center needs to be stood up, and as soon as that is done, a family assistance center that provides immediate but longer term services are needed. And it's important to do it right. One of the things that we learned from the, the mayors that we interviewed and that they were largely mayors in, in our, uh, in our uh, research was that it's crucial to separate the press from these centers. There, there needs to be a secured boundary around these centers so that the, the press does not approach the families who are grieving and, and are, are having a difficult time. So that's something that the city leaders need to be thinking about as they assign the locations of these centers. It's, it's crucial to establish a victim's fund to, to receive public donations right away. And we, we give some, some tips on what to do in those first hours thinking through that issue. And then, of course, they'll need to start thinking about the longer term aspects of this. There will be a recovery and it will take years and there are some steps to take in those initial days. So those are the, some of the, the well, those are the, the key categories in the, the, uh, the protocol. And I think it's a real vote of confidence that some of the mayors that we worked with have already started to send that four page document around to other city leaders in recent days that have had to respond to mass shootings. But separate from the protocol, is the playbook. The playbook is, is a 200-page resource. It covers every aspect of the preparedness phase, the response phase, and that recovery phase. It has 10 chapters. It covers many of the, the topics that I just mentioned, but it also includes a special chapter focused only on school shootings. It has appendices that are focused on handling a VIP or a presidential visit, funding resources, and also 
some uh, an afterword that talks about community gun violence, which is a, a different kind of mass shooting and something that that leaders need to be thinking about, and suicide prevention. So we we really want uh, city leaders to see the the playbook as the entire tree with the roots, all the branches, the leaves, the walnuts, everything, everything is in that tree. You don't need to review it all, you know, in one sitting. It's more like an encyclopedia. Everything is there, the key resources that you would need, best practices that came from actual experiences of, of uh, first responders and mayors, and vignettes that show how the leaders in, in our research handled a specific topic, like how Mayor Dyer negotiated with the FBI about who would speak first at the at the press conference, or how the city of Parkland organized its first remembrance ceremony the first year after the shooting. So those kinds of details help uh, city leaders think through what would be appropriate for their community. When you approach the mayors or the city leaders from some of these locations, was there a willingness on their end because they were eager to share both maybe what worked and also what didn't work for others? How did you even start that process of kind of interviewing them and gathering the, the information? Sure. Well, we are so grateful to everyone who participated in the research um, because it's really their experiences that bring the playbook to life and help illustrate the topic for others who are in similar situations. So we approached them letting them know it was a research study and what are the risks and benefits of participating in a research study. We were really happy that most of the people we approached wanted to participate and share their experiences. They connected us with other staff. They helped us figure out who who in their offices were the uh, first responders that we really needed to talk to to better understand what happened in the aftermath of these events. So they were able to put us in touch with the right people so that we could interview chiefs of staff, communications experts within their office, law enforcement, you know, police chiefs. So they helped us kind of expand the research to make sure that we were getting the full picture during these interviews. And they were in-depth interviews. We, we spent two hours with, with each city leader and an, at least an hour with, with the other types of respondents and then did some background interviews as well with experts from national organizations that have responded to the same to the same events that we were studying. So we tried to take an in-depth look for these six particular cases, but of course it is case study research. So it's an in-depth look at these six cases in, in particular to help illustrate the topic. Okay. And you you just mentioned it's not it's not just interviewing the mayor or city leader. There are other department heads and off, and also not just the police chief. Um, you mentioned like the communications team. So can, can either of you tell me a little bit more about who are the critical leaders that can address the different populations and ensure kind of that resiliency within a community? Sure. Well, it's really in addition to law enforcement leaders, as Sarah said, they're really well prepared to respond to these events. They go through really intense training and active shooter trainings that aren't always open to civilian city officials. So we wanted to kind of focus on on what's happening on the civilian side, what else needs to happen besides the law enforcement response. Once that once that crime tape is gone, how does the community recover from there? So we wanted to figure out what mayors, city managers, city attorneys are doing on their side. Um, so the research protocol is really re- designed around that. We found that a lot of mayors and city managers don't necessarily do the kind of advanced planning. Some had participated in 
active shooter trainings with law enforcement, or some had done tabletop exercises related related to crisis management, but they felt like they weren't totally prepared for for responding despite uh, the preparation activities that they had done. Well, right, right there. I, I don't, it's almost impossible to be fully prepared for something like this. It's kind of one of those things where you can train or get the knowledge, but you can't truly simulate something that intense. What was the typical answer for what they wish they had done prior? And is that what these two resources try to capture? Well, if I could jump in to say that we, we do strongly recommend preparedness and it, it really isn't so much that, that, uh, these leaders made terrible mistakes. They, they were quite impressive. I mean, they are courageous, compassionate people. But even with things that they did that were similar, you know, having experience responding to tornadoes or in the case of Orlando, they did do a tabletop exercise on um, being able to respond to uh, civil, civil unrest. They, none of the, the mayors uh, that we interviewed really had done any preparation for a long-term recovery. So what we would say is there is preparation that you can do in advance. Um, you can, let, let's just talk a bit about what we're recommending, because I think this gives you a good idea. To use that example of doing a tabletop exercise, that, that's a really great place to start. And you can bring together all of the stakeholders. You asked who are the other leaders. So there are many stakeholders in your community that need to be part of this planning. So of course you have law enforcement, but who is that? That might be county law enforcement too, if you're a small community. That, that probably also includes the FBI. Every region has a, an FBI special agent in charge. Those people should be included in this planning. You may want to include uh, school district leaders. You will certainly want to include public health officials. And, and that was a, a group of people that, that uh, aren't normally regularly in contact with, uh, with uh, city offices. So you would bring together all of these, these stakeholders to think through what are the things that we need to think about before anything like this happens. For example, I mentioned before, where would we locate? If, if this happens at this school, where would we put the family reunification center? If it happens at this stadium and you can't put it in the stadium, where would you put the family reunification center? Th those are examples, but, but there's so many other things. You, you need to think about a protocols to govern how you're going to handle public record requests. You need to understand what laws even apply to what you're doing so that you don't run afoul of, of laws. You need, if you're going to be not inventing things on the fly if you've already thought about what is the structure that you would use to create a victim's fund. Would you use an existing uh, 501c3 like the city of Orlando did, or would you use the National Compassion Fund, or would you work with a, a local NGO? Those are all viable options, but it helps a lot to think about that in advance. Or how do you have something in place that will help you with volunteer management. So many people are going to step forward to, to help you, but are you prepared to accept their help? One of the things that we learned that was a problem in, in really all of these mass shootings was it took a long time for the coroner's office to identify the, the victims, yet mostly you, it was known who the victims were because it was a, you know, it was a small population of, of potential victims, uh, but they were following the, the state law or their protocols for identifying uh, the deceased, this is something that actually can be negotiated and planned in advance 
to have an, a, a, a protocol for identifying victims in a mass casualty event that's an ex- expedited process. And that can really help relieve uh, trauma and grief to family members. As bad as the news is, you, you do want to know it as, as soon as possible. I, I mentioned the city attorney before. Meeting in advance with your city attorney and your, your chief of staff and some of these, this, the C4 we call a group of people, your city manager, your, your um, chief of staff, your city attorney, your, your chief financial officer, to think through mutual aid agreements, insurance issues, and other things that re- could relate to the liability that a, that a city might face. And finally, just coming up with the names and the phone numbers of everybody that you might need to call if something like this happens Doing, going through that process helps everyone understand what their role is, who they need to call, reminds them to put together a go bag. So if that call comes in, they're ready to roll and they know where to go. They know where to show up. They know what their job is going to be. And that is something that you can do in an afternoon. And then people are all on board and you understand what your role is. It's really something that I think every, every city, small and large, should do at least once during the the, the term of of a, of a a mayor. So that preparation can reduce the potential for internal confusion if and when something happens, and that way, not to expect that things will go perfectly, but to just kind of reduce as much of that as possible on the front end, so the energy and the time can be spent in responding and then thinking ahead to the to the longer term. Yeah, and it also um, makes sure that you have the mental health uh, experts involved early on so that you, because the, the long-term issue is trauma, and that mm-hmm. is the part that rarely is planned. At the top, we, we kind of gave that disclaimer, but once something like this happens, it is seemingly difficult to avoid the politics of it. Does Do either of your resources touch on that specifically to the ICMA member community city managers are nonpartisan it's it's not a political or an elected office so that's kind of goes without saying for them but once something like this happens it could be difficult to avoid that so does the do the resources touch on that yeah across the board we really heard this was a major challenge for city leaders to address in their own communications as well as kind of controlling the narrative at the vigils and events that happen after a mass shooting they were all extremely dedicated to providing messages of unity strength resilience not politicizing this knowing that that would really exacerbate the trauma that people were going through and lead to division rather than unity at a time when it's uh, so important for the community to come together, especially when you think about the fact that a lot of these shootings target a certain subgroup or community, either racially motivated or motivated by hate. So it, it, it can be a challenge, you know, when you're managing a lot of visitors to your community from, you know, state officials, federal officials, you can't control everything they're going to say, who's going to speak when. So that can be a major challenge for local government to kind of bring everyone to a, a message that's apolitical that's about the local community and providing support to to the affected community. And if I could jump in there just to answer your question about what are the resources in the the, uh, the playbook that might be useful there, we do have a an appendix that uh, focuses on VIP visits. What the city leaders we spoke to recommended was finding ways that the, the leaders who are visiting whether it's from your state capital, 
or you know from from uh, cities uh, in your region, uh, helping them find actions that they can do, uh, whether it's meeting with victims and their families or meeting with first responders and and so on that help promote healing and and giving them some coaching about appropriate things uh, that would be uh, healing and welcomed by uh, family members that they might be meeting. So that's just an example of of, uh, of one of the resources that we have, but it, it kind of goes also to uh, the issue of communications. And the very first chapter in the playbook is about communications. We say, uh, b- because we researched mayors, that the mayor is the communicator in chief for the community. Uh, but that, you know, d- depending on the, the form of government, uh, it may very well be the, the city manager. It may be a, a press person that's, uh, you know, that's managed uh, by city leaders. But the important thing is that this is the opportunity to promote community healing. And that because trauma is the public health issue, and that is your job is to address the public health ramifications of, of these terrifically you know, traumatizing events. The, having trauma-informed messaging is is what is is the the job at hand, and we go into a great deal of detail in the playbook to lay out resources from the CDC, for example, that that have basic techniques for crisis communications. I mean, I'll, I'll just uh, throw out a few of them here: uh, uh, schedule press conferences early and often to make sure that people are informed, they understand what's happening. You can prevent misinformation. Use simple, consistent messages that are amplified by credible sources. That's really important. Let the public safety office be the main uh, provider of information and updates, and then other city offices can can amplify those messages. As uh, Emily mentioned, deliver messages of hope and unity. This is the time to be bringing the community together. Obviously, there's a, a mental health component here. There are services that are needed being out front, letting people know where to go to get help, and using personal personal messages of of uh, the city leader modeling seeking help, you know, talking to somebody, you know, coping with confusing thoughts and and uh, and trauma. And as as Emily mentioned, it's really important to try to take steps to avoid politicizing press conferences or um, or vigils because you can re-traumatize family members. And, and that isn't anyone's goal during these, these difficult times. You'll, you both did touch on the tabletop exercises as one of the best places to start and some of the preparation work. But beyond the mass shooting incidents, can you talk a little bit about the benefits of this type of planning or what the playbook and protocol can help inform people, whether it's um, maybe a weather event or other kind of emergency disaster category, being prepared and going through some of these things. Can you speak to the benefits beyond just a mass shooting incident? Sure. Yeah. A lot of the recommendations in the playbook really do apply to other types of mass casualty incidents or disasters. So it can seem really overwhelming to to take all these preparedness steps just in case of a mass shooting, but I think it would really improve coordination and streamlined communication across the government for for other types of crises as well. Um, So it's definitely worth it to go through. One of the keys is really thinking about the local partnerships that that are 
already in place in your community. So there's great national resources and experts that can help respond to a mass shooting in particular since they've done it many times and have experience in that area. But there's also great local partners. You know, your community foundation in your city could help with managing donations to victims, whether those are victims of a mass shooting or a disaster. In the case of Dayton, for example, the mayor relied on an existing partnership developed in response to the opioid crisis when she was um, developing trauma-informed messaging after, after the Oregon district shooting. So just thinking about who you can tap, who, are, who you already know, and having those local partners be already embedded within your community is, is so important. They're already trusted by the community that's affected and can, can respond really quickly under, in, and within an understanding of community needs. So that could be you know, translation and interpretation needs that arise, legal services. There's just so many services for victims and families in the broader community that are needed in the aftermath of a mass casualty incident, whether it's a mass shooting or something else, that it's just good to think about ahead of time, you know, who would you who would you have on speed dial? Who who do you know is a partner already? And having those types of conversations and having those trusted partnerships in place ahead of time. There's really, really no substitute for having those in advance. If I could add there uh, sure. two points. Uh, one is we had a, a good conversation with uh, a chief of staff of one of the uh, mayor's offices that we interviewed. And, uh, and she said that she had been in contact. Uh, th- these, these offices often, having lived through one of these uh, mass shootings, they, they often reach out to other cities to, to offer support. And this office reached out to the mayor of Surfside after the uh, the tragic condo collapse, and uh, the the chief of staff told us, you know, I really realized that so much of what I was telling her was everything that you have written here in the playbook. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, very much the similar kinds of of needs that the victims are experiencing, the the support that they're going to need, and not only mental health but uh, housing issues and and. Uh, Childcare issues, all kinds of, of things that that you you don't think about unless you think about it in advance, and and that's that's what you can do with. Uh, there's all kinds of checklists in the uh, the playbook that can help you think through that. And the other point is, uh, Emily mentioned that there are all kinds of community partners uh, that you that uh, you may already have relationships with, or you may notice gaps if you do advanced planning. It can reach out to those community organizations and and begin to establish relationships with them. But one of the national partners is the American Red Cross, and they are at all of these kinds of events. They're at the mass shootings. They they show up at these other mass casualty events and and weather-related events. So they are an important partner, and they're a partner that that a mayor's office or city manager may not actually know. They may not know the local representatives. That's definitely an organization uh, that you would want to know the local representative and, and have them on speed dial, as Emily said. For the audience, you know, just the mention of a 200-page resource, it doesn't need to be overwhelming. Um, you said it earlier, it's not, it's not something they're necessarily supposed to memorize, but it's a tool to use as they're going through this planning to, to reference and recheck as they needed. For the ICMA audience, we, we should have an opportunity to do deeper dives into some of the actual chapters, which we've pretty much touched on everything, but I'll just list them out in order. As Sarah and Emily have kind of given examples, the, the chapters are communications, emergency management, victims and families, law enforcement, donations, school shootings, community partnerships, 
legal considerations, commemorations, and mental health. For the ICMA members or audience who are listening, uh, we are open and interested in your feedback on what maybe the top two or three of those specific chapters would be to learn more about. Please send that feedback in and hopefully we can do deeper dives in the future. But for today, Sarah and Emily, I just really appreciate your time on a difficult subject. I think the resources and this is going to be really helpful for the audience. So is anything else you'd like to add? Sure. I'd like to uh, remind your audience how to get a copy of these resources, what they're likely to find. Uh, you mentioned that they can find them on the unitedonguns.org website. Uh, they can also find it on the U.S. Conference of Mayors website. I, I think that's a, it's a nice endorsement. Uh, but what they'll find, if you go to our website, you'll see a, a blue button. Click on that. It says Protocol and Playbook. Uh, and then we've, we've tried to make this as user-friendly as possible. You can click on just the protocol. You can print that off. Like I said, it's a very short document. Uh, you can click on, you can review the chapters in the playbook. So if you're only interested in the communications chapter, you want to see the, the checklist on how to organize a press conference, or you're, you're interested in, in, in that topic, or school shootings, for example, you can just print off the, the chapter that you want. And they're, they're not that long. They have a one page summary, and each one of them has a, a checklist at the end. You can read the playbook online. You can you can move it over to your Kindle. That's what I do. I carry it around on my my phone. But you can also order a. Uh, you can take the link to your, your local Staples, and and they can uh, print it out for you, or go to our website and order a printed copy. We've uh, made an arrangement with a a uh, printer who can print it out and bind it, I'm sorry, uh, wrap it up. It'll be three hole punched and you can put it in your city binder. You can you know, take whatever pieces of it that interest you to your meetings or share and print and you know, copy for others. It's, um, and that's at cost. It's just what the cost of printing it is. So we really are trying to make it as accessible and useful as possible. And we, and we encourage people to share it with others, to uh, send it if you are um, interested and you find, found it helpful to, to share it within your membership communities and with your colleagues uh, so that others have a chance to see it as well. Yeah, not just for mayors or city managers or even police chiefs, public safety professionals, people on the communications team, city council membership themselves. This is helpful and almost invaluable resource for, for everyone involved. So Sarah, Emily, again, thanks for your time. And we will follow up on a, another topic shortly. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much.